Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their world. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. The machine that runs your life. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. On today's episode, Steve Morris. Steve has consulted with leaders and served in a variety of organizational positions in more than 20 industries over the past 40 years. He's the author of a book, Leadership Simple, Leading People to Lead Themselves, co-written with his wife and business partner, Jill Morris. Steve is a partner in ChoiceWorks, a consultancy that focuses on helping people work more productively together, something it's always uh, definitely right there at the top of the list, what we need. So, Steve, so good to have you on the podcast today. Great to be here with you, Dale. And I am holding a copy of the book in my hands and uh, definitely appreciate it and the insight it's given me. And I look forward to this conversation for the insight that our listeners are going to, to receive out of this and also the opportunity to go out and pick up the book. So uh, before we dive into this idea that uh, of the machine that runs your life, you've piqued our curiosity. Tell us about you. When you get out of bed in the morning, feet hit the floor. What's giving you energy to 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 take on the day? What, what really motivates you? What's your internal motivation? Dale, I have a great passion for three things. Learning, uh, being creative with what I've learned, and using that in the service of other people. I'm excited every day to connect with people and organizations to help them achieve what they want to achieve. Mm, that is, that's purpose. So let's dive in. What is this mysterious machine that runs your life? We've discovered a, an algorithm that seems to be embedded in the minds of every human being. It's a very simple model, and it basically explains everything that human beings do. My wife, Jill, and I studied with a guy named William Glasser for a number of years, and we were certified in his processes. Glasser was a psychiatrist who's written probably 28 books. He died a couple of years ago. But Bill Glasser was a pioneer in taking an engineering theory called control theory and applying it to human beings in a way that was so simple that even seven-year-olds could take his model and apply it and use it in their lives and use it interactively with other people. We took his model and we simplified it even more. And we came up with three key elements that we describe in our mysterious little magical machine we call the triangle of choice. So what is the triangle of choice? Let me tell you about it. I'll describe it. Imagine in your mind an upside down triangle. And at the left-hand corner, you would put the word perceptions. Human beings are perceiving all the time. We perceive everything that's happening around us. It is data to us. And when we absorb that data, we run it through what we call 
three filters, perceptual filters. Those three filters are our senses, and each of us has a unique combination of those sensors, our sight, our hearing, our taste, touch, and smell, and our ability to sense what's in our minds at any given time. I actually call it six senses. So we absorb information through those senses. Some of us are very, very strong in terms of our auditory abilities. Others are more focused on our visual capabilities. And some of us are very kinesthetic. We sense the world. We feel it through our bodies. So, so are, there three, are, are there three significant or predominant senses that you're focused on then for this process? When you started, you said the three, sense, uh, three senses. Yes, actually, there are. I, I actually defined six, but primarily we're focused on these three primary senses, what you would call auditory, visual, and kinesthetic or physical touch. Perfect. Okay. So we filter everything through our senses. Just to give you an example about how much we filter information. If you were to assume that the eye can absorb 3,000 bits of information, by the time that 3,000 bits gets to the back of our mind in our visual cortex, we experience 300 bits of information. So that data is compressed 10 times. By the time it gets sensed in the center of our brains in an area called the striatum, it is compressed 300 times more. So we're going from 3,000 bits of information to one bit of information. And each of us filters those bits in a different way. We're not conscious of it. We have physical capabilities. And that's what's happening with all our senses. So we're collecting data from around the world, from the world around us, in very, very different ways. That's filter number one. Filter number two is our experiences, our beliefs, our knowledge, and our education. So we are collecting information throughout our lives. By the time people get to the age of 21, they've probably had millions of large and little experiences that shape the way they see and sense the world based on those experiences. So if your education is that of an attorney, you experience the world in one way. If you're a truck driver, you're going to experience it in a totally different way. So each of us is filtering through our experiences. And lastly, that third element of filtration is our values. Whatever comes our way, we put a value on it. We say plus, minus, or neutral. And we are like Velcro when it comes to the negative things. We're more like Teflon when it comes to the positive things. And neutral experiences, we hardly notice. Hmm. So these three filters actually change whatever there is in the world for us to experience and give us an impression, an image, 
a perception of what is really there. And so, that's what human beings operate from, that perception. The perception. So we have the upside-down triangle, and I'm looking at the uh, page. Actually, if, if folks at home are, are listening and they've got the book, uh, you can go to page 37 and see this. But uh, I'm thinking about the upside-down triangle for those of us in the car uh, driving in, and we're imagining this. Top left, the flat side, would be perceptions. And in perceptions, you have senses, your experiences, and your values as the three filters. Yes. Correct. Okay. You've got it. Now, on the right upper side of that triangle, we identify that as wants, as your desires. Human beings are wanting machines. They want something from the time they get up in the morning till the time they go to sleep at night. If our nose itches, we want the itch to go away. If we're hungry, we want to fill our bellies. We are driven by what we want. And we are always comparing what we want to what we perceive we have. And if there is a difference that is important to us, we take some action. And that action is what we call behavior, and that's at the bottom of the triangle, that bottom point that points down, that completes the triangle of choice. So we have perceptions, we have wants, and when there's a gap between what we want and what we perceive we have, and that difference is important to us, we choose a behavior. We choose it consciously or mostly subconsciously out of habits to close the gap between what we perceive we have and what we want. This is all human beings do all day long, from babies, from birth to death. We are closing gaps between what we perceive we have and what we want. There's nothing that human beings do that falls outside of this triangle. And that is the machine that runs your life. That's right. <laughs> so, exactly. So for the, for the person who's saying, oh, but I'm, I'm different, I'm unique, or I just don't feel like I have that level of control to, to understand the machine, what can we do to start taking back control of that process? It isn't easy. We have deep habits, and those habits are embedded in our brains. They are actually physically embedded. So in order to take back control of this algorithm that is running our lives, we have to start self-evaluating. What do I mean by self-evaluating? We need to observe. We need to ask ourselves very specific questions. Here's three basic questions that you can ask of yourself at any time. Number one, are my perceptions accurate? I'll give you an example that really brings this question to the front of the mind. When there's a crime and detectives ask the witnesses what happened, if there are 10 witnesses, they get 10 different stories. And what they do is they piece together an accurate story based on all those 10 inputs because everyone sees or perceives things differently. They see different things. They may all be partially right. They may all be partially wrong. So the first question always is, 
are my perceptions accurate? What evidence do I have? Can I add more? Can I seek another person's perceptions? And then I have the opportunity to choose deliberately what's right, what's the accurate perception. That's number one. Number two, are my wants, what I desire, is it realistic? Can I really achieve what I want? And that's a judgment call. You may have to do some research to see if what you want is really possible, particularly if you're working with a group. Can I get everybody aligned together on what our vision is, what we want together, what are our goals, what are the results? Those are all wants. Let me emphasize something here, Dale. 60% or more of all the challenges we find in organizations, we're working in 15 different organizations right now, invariably, those challenges are related to a failure to accurately communicate what is wanted or for people to accurately understand what is wanted. We fail as leaders over and over again to be specific enough and check out with the people we're leading whether they are clear about what their roles are. A role is about what is wanted. What's wanted from you as a person who's holding a specific job? What do I want from my team? What is the vision we have? Those communications today are so casually communicated that there's loads of failure. So are we realistic about what we want? Leaders often will come along and say, well, I want a 20% increase in sales next year. They may have no basis for that increase. Their approach is, let it be said, let it be done. It's not realistic. We see that everywhere we go. People are asked to do more with fewer resources. They are stretched to the limit. So the question is, is what I am asking of my people realistic? And the third question is, are my behaviors effective? What do I mean by that? Well, I'm a guy who's been around the business world for almost 50 years, and I like to make money. I make money by going to work every day and running what I hope is a legitimate business that generates value for my clients. But there is a guy who lives not far from here who each day says to himself, how can I steal more money so I can shoot up my drugs or live my life the way I choose to live it? That is their choice. Is it realistic? It's not realistic for me, but it may be realistic for them. And that's the challenge we deal with. Do we choose the right behaviors that are actually going to be effective to produce the results we want, to get us what we want based on the current situation? And that current situation is about perception. 
So to, to go through those three really quick for folks who are following along, possibly taking notes, uh, check your perceptions and the accuracy of those perceptions. I love the line in there where you said, look for evidence. I think that is so important because no, I, I know nobody can fool me like I can fool me. <laughs> by just glossing over and say, oh yeah, my perceptions are accurate. But if you're asking me to go out and look for supporting evidence, I need to be honest in this process. And you need to ask yourself, what assumptions am I making? Then mm. are my wants realistic? Uh, the fact that 60% of challenges are related to the failure of what is wanted. So that leads to the necessity and the driving necessity for clarity especially in our organizations and our communication. And then are my, my behaviors effective? So when we think through those, those three items we need to do, tell me how the triangle of choice applies to leadership, especially when we think about the complete leader, the basis of this podcast. So it's pretty simple. Getting clear about what your expectations are as a leader and communicating those expectations with enough clarity so that others understand it, and then checking out with the people that you're leading whether they've received that communication in the manner you've intended is the critical first step. If you fail there, you're going to fail everywhere. What we have a process we call the complete agreement. And it basically requires that you get agreement from people that they're going to meet your expectations. Now, all of us who lead have people who are reporting to us who deliver everything we expect. They're those outstanding high performers who listen, who observe, who are really critical thinkers and action-oriented people who always deliver at the level of quality and detail and completeness that we want. But there's 40, 50 percent of the population, maybe more, who don't achieve everything we expect. And with those people, we have to get very specific and make sure they understand what we, we want from them. So we have to be specific. And then we have to ask them questions about how they perceive what we've said, what the world around them looks like, and get agreements from them that they will deliver. That's first and foremost for a leader. There shouldn't be an assumption that because I say it, everybody perceives what I say in the same way. The other opportunity for using the triangle of choice is to get people as I said earlier, to think and self-evaluate. So here I am, I'm giving you a lot of information, but I don't know how much information you're going to absorb. I don't know what you know after we have a conversation because our minds tend to wander and go off in different tangents and we don't absorb everything that's said to us. So the ideal for a leader is to become what I call an 80-20 leader. What do I mean by that? 80% listening, 20% asking. 
And so there are a set of questions that we can ask that lead people to think for themselves. And if they come to their own answers through this self-evaluation process, then we know that they understood what we wanted. So those questions are quite simple. There's six of them that I use in the book. We describe five, but I've added another question. But let's start with those five questions. The first question is, given the situation that we're talking about, what do you want? So this generates immediately an opportunity for that person you're asking that question of to say, oh, here's the result we're aiming for. This is the vision I have for achieving and completing that task. Here's what I want the project to look like. If I tell them what I want, but don't listen to what they want, I'm just fooling myself. So that's question number one, what do you want? Second question is, what are you going to do to get it? So you're asking them about a behavior. What behavior are you going to choose to be effective to get what you want? The third question is, do you think that behavior is going to be effective? Have you thought it out well enough? And frequently people will say, well, maybe I haven't. So the question then becomes, what else could you do? See, the doing question is always about behavior. What behavior are you choosing? So we want people to choose options to add to their first answer and to develop a clearer picture of what their plan is for action. The last question of the five is what will you do? What are you committed to? Because they may generate two options, five options, 10 options, but how will you put those options together to achieve what you want? So there's those five questions. What do you want? What are you doing to get it? Will that be effective? What else could you do? And what will you do? What's the plan? And each of those ties to the triangle of choice at a different tangent, a different apex. And then you said a number six, correct? Number six question is, what do you perceive or how do you see the situation? What's the current situation? Let's describe it in detail. Frequently, we assume we're agreeing on the situation. But what we found over the years is that people see situations in different ways. And situations are very much about context. They may see the context differently than I see it. So we want to get clear about the differences between how we see the current situation. So we can kind of negotiate that and get clear on it. And do we start then with that question? I like starting with that question. What's the situation? How do you see the situation? Here's how I see it. And this then... tool, Dale, can be used in many ways. So I use it a lot in coaching. What do I mean by that? people come to me with a problem. I had difficulty with my peer. I couldn't get them to do what I wanted them to do. My first question is, what was, this, was the situation? 
What did you want given that situation? What did you do to get it? Was that effective? Oh, partially, but not totally. They didn't buy in. What else could you do now or next time? And then what will you do? Those six questions I can use in many, many different forms. There's a hundred ways to ask those questions. I can use those to coach people forever. I don't have to add anything else. If I know those six questions and I can listen clearly and follow what people are saying, everything they say falls into three categories, perceptions, wants, and behaviors. And it is an enlightening experience for the person who's who's processing that information, something we, uh, lead, I think, leaders lead themselves, something that a leader needs to be able to do to herself or himself as well as uh, coaching their, their direct reports. So, Steve, uh, this has been fab- fabulous. You've given us uh, some great tools to put in our toolkit. I really appreciate the time. Steve Morris, he is the author with his wife, Jill Morris, of Leadership Simple, Leading People to Lead Themselves. It dives into this topic deep in the book. Definitely encourage you to pick it up. Also part of the Complete Leader faculty, a good friend of Ron Price. Uh, all of that said, again, thank you for your time today, and we wish you a great week. Thank you, Dale. It was a pleasure to be with you. We're back again next week with another edition of the Complete Leader Podcast. In the meantime, be sure you subscribe on iTunes if you haven't done so already. And while you're there, if you would rate the podcast, hopefully we've earned those five stars from you, and uh, write a short review. That helps push the podcast up higher in search results on iTunes so more people have an opportunity to listen uh, to this great content. With that, have a great week. This is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org. 